Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Wednesday, October 5th edition of the Basement Academy. A few minutes in the gymnasium of the soul today, I hope, will do us good. Our morning psalm, Psalm 95, we kind of only know the first half of it. The back half has some challenge associated with it, thankfully so, uh, but but these will be familiar words to start with, but I invite your attention to the back half of this psalm. Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For forty years I was angry with that generation. I said, They are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, They shall never enter my rest." And that's how Psalm 95 ends. <laughs> so we know the first part of that. Come, let us bow down and worship. The, the, the Come, let us make music and song. We like that part of the psalm, right? But this, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did at Meribah, as you did at Massah, speaking about these episodes in the wilderness wanderings where God's people refused to do what God said. So they hardened their hearts and they got 40 years of wandering. Uh, the, the adults didn't enter the promised land. It was their children. The 40 years was for that generation of adults to die off, except for Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. And even Moses himself died before uh, entering the land. So uh, an interesting psalm. But the, this notion of when we hear his voice, do not harden our hearts. We must be responsive. We must obey. The lesson God taught Israel in the wilderness, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The testing of the wilderness was to see if you will obey me, because they did not. God said, go take the land. And Moses sent out some spies, one from each tribe, Ten spies said, we can't do it. We're like grasshoppers and they're giants. But Joshua and Caleb said, we can do this. God is with us. God told us we can do this. <laughs> and so throughout biblical history, throughout church history, it always comes down to those who believe God is faithful, God is true to his word, and those who shrink back and, and perhaps the language of hardening hardening the heart. So may God give us all grace to do what he says. <laughs> um, and so God give us grace even this day as we, we get about this work. Okay, 
We are now on the fourth lap, okay? Four sections to this study guide going stretching back. We started this back, um, golly, five and a half, six weeks ago, uh, end of August. Started out with a couple weeks on discipleship as apprenticeship, bearing the yoke of Jesus, um, the workshop of disagreement. Something happens in when we're uh, in disagreement and dispute with others. God's shaping character. Uh, we spent a week and a half or two on denominations, what they are, interpretive families who take an interpretive framework of the scripture. All denominations are honoring the word in some way, and even within denominations, the different factions, the different um, wings of each denomination are still honoring the word, but they come to it differently. And so we went through a, a series of reflections on denominations and boundaries and borders, etc., and then last week and a half, we've been looking at Greenwich, the particular situation and history of Greenwich and kind of where we stand on some things and some of the tension uh, and, and the areas of misalignment with our own denomination that we have. And then this motive we've been talking about the last couple of days, the motive of love. It's not anger. It's not contempt. It's not demonizing those who read the scriptures differently. It's one of love. We wish not to offend you for the wholehearted way and the robust way in which we read and teach and preach and practice what we hear. We do not want to harden our hearts. We think we've heard the voice of God, so we're seeking to, to teach and preach and practice. And so now I want to enter the fourth section of the study guide that'll, you know, it's probably a week and a half or two uh, of, um, of studies here in the morning. And this is what, for lack of any other way, I'll just call contending for the truth. I imagine that a few of you who have been listening and watching for the last you know, week and a half or two in particular, maybe haven't been as comfortable with some of the things I've said, particularly around this notion of it's not heresy, it's an interpretive difference. Heresy feels better when we can charge others who don't read the scripture the way we do, we can charge them with heresy. That just feels better to us. You know, we feel a little more righteous and the, the, the line is very sharp. This is truth. This is error. So some of you have probably not been that happy in, in, in this regard. In, in your kindness, you haven't confronted me, but I suspect you're thinking it, right? thinking Don's just getting soft here. It is about truth. I agree with you. It is about truth. And so the question isn't, is, is the scripture true or not, or is my teaching true or not? The question is, how do we contend for what we understand to be the truth? Because we always have to have that humble approach, what we understand to be the truth, I mean, I believe there is true truth, truth with a capital T. So again, don't 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 paint me in a uh, in in a wrong way. Um, but there has to be humility as we come to this. So we understand. I will defend how I get to my conclusions. We may differ. You defend how you get to your conclusions. You read the scripture differently, and so. How do we contend for what we understand to be God's truth? How do we do that well? That's what this 
last section will be about, okay? Not just today, but for, for a couple weeks here. And so I, I want to kind of have a coda. Let, let, let's, as we've been kind of singing this song for several weeks, let's kind of return to the beginning. Let's, let's pull back to some themes uh, as, we, as we wrap up here. And this theme of the yoke of Jesus Christ, this yoke of discipleship. So that's where I started six weeks ago. Matthew 11, verses 29 and 30. Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you. It is easy. It is light. You will find rest for your souls. Learn from me. Learn from me. Mathete. Be a disciple. Be an apprentice. Come, sit under my teaching. Don't only learn my words, but learn my ways. And so, I want to kind of pull us back to that theme, recalling the yoke of Jesus. And let me remind you that the one to whom we are yoked, that is, we are harnessed to Jesus, he is full of grace and truth. And so we, we know the scripture, John chapter 1, uh, that great statement of the incarnation, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so Jesus is the incarnate word of God, the embodiment, the enfleshment of the mind and heart and will and purpose and word of God. So that everything Jesus speaks is the word of God. Everything that Jesus does is in accordance with the word of God and the will of God. He lives perfectly in harmony with the intent of the Father. And that is a word that is full of grace and truth. So we are yoked to one who is full of grace and truth. And so if we take our cue from Jesus as, as recorded in Luke's gospel, uh, chapter 6, verse 40, <clears throat> Jesus said, Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? So kind of he's trying to um, tease out. If you're following the Pharisees, look out. It's the blind leading the blind. And then verse 40, A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Everyone who is fully trained, everyone who takes this yoke, learns the words and ways of Jesus, will come to be like Jesus, full of grace and truth. And so what I'm going to argue for in these coming weeks is that the manner in which we contend for truth must be full of grace. We don't contend for truth in a way that, that denies the reality of Jesus. So you can say the right thing, but you can say it the wrong way. You might give faithful instruction to your children, but raising your voice and demeaning them and, and, and harsh in the process, which what parent hasn't done that and feels the shame of that, we say the right thing in the wrong way. And in, 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 in so doing, it's not the right thing. We're, we're, and this is the hypocrisy, right? 
do as the Pharisees say, not as they do. See, the Pharisees said the right things, but they did not follow. Their hearts were hard. They heard the voice of God, perhaps, but they hardened their hearts and they made null the word of God for the traditions of men. And so to, to maybe mix metaphors or at least uh, draw the three scriptures together in some, maybe some, hopefully some sweet uh, uh, a chord of three strands, I want to add a third um, verse in here, a, a third passage from Matthew's gospel. Again, the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. And so I would offer to you that we should think about grace and truth as the narrow way. That what Jesus calls us to, this narrow gate, this narrow path, this narrow road that Jesus bids us to enter and to stay on and to travel, is the narrow way of grace and truth. And in a sense, grace and truth are like the guardrails that keep us on that path. I'm going to try to tease some of this out a little bit more tomorrow uh, with a, a different image. But if we think of grace and truth as the guardrails, the guardrails are there to keep people from spilling off into the ditch, right? You're driving along at night, the road turns. Boy, thankful for those guardrails and the little reflectors that are there. And we've all seen guardrails that have been glanced up against and sadly some that have been run through. And there's danger on either side of the road. And so let us travel the road of grace and truth, truth and grace. So that when we contend for the truth, it must be with grace. And when we contend for grace, it must be with truth and in the truth. And, and I think what we're going to find, if you can't already kind of intuit and anticipate, there's a tension there. It's just a lot easier to tell people off. It's just a lot easier to point the finger and say, you have departed from biblical faithfulness and point the finger at somebody else in our denomination or somewhere else. And, and you, you point them out, sinner, <laughs> heretic. You, you, you've stopped reading your Bible. You're no longer following biblical authority. That all may be true, but it smacks with a lack of grace. It has no grace associated with it. So again, I remind you what Paul said to Timothy, chapter, uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. He must be kind to everyone, able to teach. Do so with gentleness, with respect, with faithful and patient instruction. Perhaps they will come to repentance and escape the devil's snare. And so this is Paul, and I, and I think there's places where Paul seems to kind of push it a little bit, right? Um, but he contends for the truth with grace and he's calling the servant of the Lord to, to teach with grace, with humility, with patience, 
it is the word of God that is going to lead somebody back to faith, back to the path, back to repentance, back to the truth. And so what I want to argue in this fourth section, let's contend for the truth with grace. Let's contend for grace with truth. And so I want to offer some tools along the way, some perspectives, some it's going to be challenging. I'm going to offer some thoughts that, that not all will like, but I think all will benefit from if you engage, if you do not uh, you know, harden the heart, so to speak. Now, I'm not saying I'm the voice of God, but I'm trying to speak faithfully uh, according to the word and will of God. And so uh, let, let's wrap up here and then we'll, we'll dive in uh, uh, Thursday and Friday and we'll try to take this on a little more deeply and um, start to live into this uh, truth and grace, tension and life, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the words of Jesus, the one full of grace and truth. We yearn, so yearn to be like him when fully trained. So train us, teach us, disciple us, apprentice us, guide us so that we in our own speech and conduct and attitudes, actions towards all people, not just in our denominational discussion, but towards all people, that we ourselves would reflect truth and grace as we find it in Jesus. And so hear our prayer as we make it in his beautiful and matchless name, even as he taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, may our Lord, full of grace and truth, bless you this day and every day with the spirit that loves grace and truth and to pour that out onto a neighbor's friends and others. May he do this now and forevermore. Amen.